Our scripture reading is taken from Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 to 26, and then three sections of chapter 26. Genesis 25, verses 19 to 26. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, And the Lord, oh, sorry, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Jacob was 60 years old when she bore them. Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 to 5. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerah to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you for to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now we go down to verses 12 to 16. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had 
possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Down to verses 23 to 25. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I'm with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. God bless his word to us. Thanks for reading scripture for us. Uh, Let's all turn to God in prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear from Him. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You indeed that You have spoken. Father, we pray now that You would speak to us, uh, open Your Word to us, grant us open hearts. May we respond to You, trusting that You are faithful, and may You be our hope and our confidence. So help us this morning, we pray. Strengthen Your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, have you ever felt uh, deja vu? You know, deja vu, the feeling that you've already experienced the situation that you're going through. You know, if you are a football fan of a club whose initials are MU, you may be feeling deja vu this week. You know, according to medical studies, people who are busy, tired, or stressed are more likely to experience deja vu. Life transitions can often give us a feeling of deja vu, the idea of moving, things changing, having to readjust, and then trying to settle in again. You know, all these things can be difficult, especially when we feel like we're going through these things again, you know, things that we've been through before. And it can be disheartening when life seems like it's going around in circles. You know, yet, as tiresome as transitions can be, they can also be opportunities for us to experience God's steadfast love and His faithfulness. You know, every transition that God is bringing us through, whether it's related to our health, our families, you know, maybe a newborn, uh, whether it's related to our work, our church, or where we live, you know, every transition is an opportunity to witness afresh God's faithfulness. You know, so, beloved, how have we known God's faithfulness through our transitions. You know, what transitions are we going through now? And how is God calling us to trust Him in our present season? We're back in our sermon series in Genesis after taking a a brief uh, detour uh, over Easter. Uh, And in this series, we've, we've seen so far of God's faithfulness, haven't we? We've seen that He's promised Abraham a people, a place, and blessing. And in faithfulness to his promises, God has kept his word. He's given Abraham a son, although his wife Sarah was barren and Abraham himself was almost 100 years old. Uh, Then God has shown his steadfast love to Abraham by providing a wife for his son Isaac. Her name is Rebekah. We saw that in Genesis 24. 
So God's covenant has continued, thanks to God's faithfulness. And then here in Genesis 25, uh, a a transition takes place in the story of Genesis. And we read in Genesis 25 verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, and and so on. So that, that word, generations, signals the beginning of a new section. Genesis is structured around 10 major sections, and each of these sections begins with the word generations. So verses 19 and 20 signal the beginning of this new section or this new chapter in the story of Genesis. And the focus is shifting from Abraham and Isaac to Isaac's descendants, most notably Jacob. And as a new season begins in the story, it's, it's worth asking the question, how will God remain faithful to His covenant promises? And how will these individuals remain faithful to God, like their father Abraham? You know, and another thing to note from Genesis 25 and 26 is, you know, these chapters may f- make us feel deja vu. You know, do you notice the similarities between Abraham's life and Isaac's life? You know, their, their lives are almost like mirror images of each other. And, and the parallels between their lives are, are purposeful. Right? This is no mere coincidence, but the similarities between their lives are meant to help us to see that Isaac is truly Abraham's promised offspring. Right? He, he's like father, like son. Right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And we're also meant to see God's faithfulness across the generations. Just as God has been faithful to Abraham, so he is faithful in Isaac's life as well. They go through similar experiences and God shows himself to be trustworthy through these experiences. So here in our passage, uh, we we really have an encouragement to trust in the faithful God, especially through seasons of change, through challenging seasons, through times of transitions. And I put it to us that that's most of our lives. I think we feel as though we're going through one transition after another. You know, we've transition into COVID, and now we're transitioning out of COVID. Our lives are marked by constant change. So this passage encourages us to trust in the unchanging God, the God who is faithful. So five points as we work our way through this text. It's it's a longish text today, so five points. Number one, God preserves His promises. Number two, the faithful God calls for faith. Number three, the faithful God protects. The faithful God provides And then finally, the faithful God shows grace to the faithless. So let's dive in with number one, the faithful God preserves His promises. As we saw in Genesis 24, God faithfully provides Rebekah to be Isaac's wife. And this marriage is important because it ensures the continuation of God's covenant promise to raise up a people from Abraham's offspring. So you can't have have offspring unless you have a wife. But the problem arises here, right? There's a crisis here in chapter 25. Rebecca, like her mother-in-law Sarah, is barren. Once again, uh, human helplessness threatens to derail the promises. If If the covenant with Abraham is to be fulfilled, then God Himself must do it. The promises do not rest on human ability, but the promises rest purely on God's grace and power. 
you know, as we go through our changing seasons of life, you know, how assuring it is to know that we can wholly depend on God, that it doesn't depend finally on our ability to carry ourselves through, but on God who is faithful to keep His promises to His people. Abraham waited many years before Isaac's birth, and as he struggled with the apparent delay, you know, we, we, we read earlier how Abraham took matters in his own hands, and he had a child with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. You know, Isaac, however, shows more faith. He prays. Right? Instead of coming up with his own plan, he depends on God's provision. So he prays, right? Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife that she would bear children. And again, we see the faithful God preserving His promises by granting Isaac's prayer. Rebecca conceived. But the answer to prayer didn't occur immediately. It took a while. You know, in, in verse 21, we read about how Isaac was 40 when he married Rebecca. You know, how old was he when he had children? 60, that's right, verse 26. Isaac was 60 when Rebekah gave birth. So, 20 years. Right? Like his father Abraham, Abraham waited 25 years. Before the birth of Isaac, Isaac waited 20 years, two decades, before the birth of his sons. I think the lesson to us, beloved, is clear. Right? Faith involves patiently waiting on God. Yes, God is faithful, but that doesn't mean that He answers our, our prayers immediately. God works according to His timing and not ours. And when things don't happen according to when we want, you know, we may be tempted to become anxious, to become discouraged or impatient. You know, we may be tempted to stop trusting God or to even resent Him for not hearing our prayers. We may be tempted to begin to depend on our own strength or schemes, our own cleverness or resourcefulness to kind of get things done. But beloved, I think we need to remember that God is never late. God is always on time, according to His schedule. And also to remember, beloved, that our Heavenly Father loves us and is in control. And He exercises His sovereignty because of His love for us. Therefore, we can trust Him and submit our desires and plans to Him, even if it involves waiting for Him. Rebecca has a difficult pregnancy. The twins struggled within her. You know, that must have caused her severe concern and distress. And Rebecca demonstrates faith as well. She asks of the Lord. You know, she makes inquiries of the Lord. She says, what, what's going on? Why is my pregnancy so difficult? And she receives a prophetic word about the destiny of her two children. Right, verse 23, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. And then listen to this, the, the older shall serve the younger. You know, this is a surprising twist in the story. Right? This unexpected twist overturns social norms because in those days, and I think in our day as well, we understand that the older will always have prominence. Right? The older will inherit. The older will be the one who kind of leads the family forward. But instead of the older child being the heir here, as is customary, uh, Rebecca is told that the younger son will be the child of the promise. God is faithful 
to provide offspring for Isaac, but it, it will be according to God's ways, you know, in, a, in an unexpected way, in a humanly uh, un, unexpected way. In choosing Jacob over Esau, God is turning on his head. Right? He's reversing the natural order of things. You know, this is God. Right? He, he does as He pleases. He's sovereign. As Paul explains in Romans 9, when, when he talks about Jacob and Esau, Paul says, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Right? God chooses. Not because of works, Paul tells us, but because of Him who calls. Right? God chooses because God chooses according to His will. And therefore, Rebecca was told, the older will serve the younger. And Paul goes on to say that God is sovereign in His choice and He has mercy on whomever He wills. I think this really gets to the heart of what it means to trust God. You know, God is faithful. Yes, He will keep His promises, but at the same time, beloved, His thoughts are higher than ours. Trusting God means submitting ourselves to Him and not leaning on our own understanding. As it says in that very familiar verse, in those familiar verses in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding. I think that's a humble acknowledgement that He is God and we are not. His ways are not our ways. Number two, the faithful God calls for faith. Right, we'll circle back to the end of chapter 25 later, but let's begin looking at chapter 26. And here we find another crisis confronting Isaac and Rebekah. You know, verse, verse 1 in chapter 26, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. You know, again, we, we see the parallels between Abraham and Isaac's lives. You know, Abraham experienced a famine in Genesis 12. Here, Isaac experiences a famine as well. And in Genesis 12, when Abraham experienced that famine, he moved his family to Egypt to find food during that famine. You know, that, and that made a lot of sense because in those days, Egypt was known to be a source of food. So relocating there would make perfect sense. But here, God says something rather surprising to Isaac in verse 2. He says, do not go down to Egypt. Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. You know, in, in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to go by faith, right? That, that's God's call to Abraham in Genesis 12, right? God, Abraham is to go by faith to the promised land. And, and here, God calls Isaac to do something by faith as well. God calls Isaac to stay by faith. Don't go, but stay by faith. Stay in the promised land. Isaac is to trust God, even if it means doing something against conventional wisdom. Because the wisdom of the day would say, go to Egypt. That's where the food is. But God tells Isaac, no, stay. Stay in the promised land. You know, beloved, how is God calling us to go by faith? How is He calling us to move out of our comfort zones to, to prove His faithfulness, to do something that maybe we haven't done before out of obedience to Him? Or, or friends, how is God calling us to stay by faith, to stay in a difficult place, to, to trust Him to provide, even if human wisdom tells us to pack up our bags and leave? 
You know, how is God calling us to stay by faith? Whether we go or whether we stay, you know, God's calling us to trust Him, to trust in His faithfulness. He's, you know, he's, he's stretching us. He's growing our faith as we lean in on Him. And, and here, God encourages Isaac by renewing his covenant with him. You know, he, he makes clear that Isaac is the heir of the promises that God made to Abraham. So we find a, a reiteration of those covenant promises in verses 3 and 4. God says to Isaac, I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So God restates the promises, encouraging Isaac, but Isaac himself must also believe in God. Isaac is not passive in this thing. He, he needs to exercise faith as well, just like his father Abraham. He's to live by faith, not by sight. And God calls him to sojourn in the land of which God shall tell him. And if we walk in the footsteps of Isaac's faith, we too are called to be sojourners in the land. You know, this land, this world is not our home. But we hope in God as we look forward to the consummation of His promises. We long for the day when our Lord Jesus will return and bring us home safely in the new heavens and new earth. But in the meantime, we live as sojourners, just as Isaac is to sojourn in the land. And while we wait, we are to live according to God's wisdom and plan, not according to human or worldly ways. You know, trusting God will often go against the grain of what is respectable in our culture. Things that our culture hopes in, that our culture elevates and sees as purely good things, things like earthly success, earthly recognition, earthly comfort, earthly security. You know, trusting God will often mean trusting Him and not these things. You know, but beloved, it's easier said than done, isn't it? You know, we're often tempted to find our identity and significance in the world. You know, as, as we said earlier on in the catechism, what is an idol? An idol is something in which we find our significance and security in. I think if we are honest, we would say that we idolize many things in this world. So how do we wean ourselves off the world? Yes, you know, negatively, we, we see the idols of what they are. But positively, our hearts must be captivated by the goodness of God, by the graciousness of His promises. You know, when we see how God is good, when we see how He promises us all things, you know, surely we can leave behind the idols of this world. As we, as we see more and more the goodness and faithfulness of God, we realize that God offers us far better, much better things than anything this world has to offer. So beloved, my encouragement to all of us is to meditate regularly and deeply on God's promises, on God's character as, we, as He has revealed them to us in His Word. Now, this is why we read our Bibles, right? Reading the Bible is not just uh, like a mechanical habit that you do, but, you, but, but we read God's Word so that we come face to face with the God who is faithful. And we see more clearly for ourselves day by day His perfections, His goodness and His grace. And reading His Word 
encourages us to trust Him and, and slowly weans us off the false promises that this world makes to us. And God doesn't just promise us good things. God gives us Himself. You see how God pledges His presence to Isaac at the beginning, verse 3. I will be with you. You Through the deep waters, through fiery trials, I will be with you. You Beloved, the greatest blessing for us It's not merely the gifts that God provides, but it's God Himself. The greatest blessing we have is that we know God and that we enjoy Him because He is our God and we are His people. That, beloved, is the greatest blessing that there is. You know, how can we be sure of God's faithfulness? The supreme proof is that God the Father has sent His beloved Son for us and for our salvation, Christ has come to fulfill God's promises to Abraham and Isaac. Jesus is Abraham's promised offspring. Jesus is God with us. He's God present with us. In the flesh, the eternal Son of God came, lived among us. And Jesus bore the curse of sin by dying on the cross so that the promised blessing might come to undeserving sinners like us. And in Christ, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God is gathering for Himself a countless number of people from every language, from every culture, from every country. I think we see a a bit of that here in this room as we look around. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our hope of eternal life. Jesus' resurrection secures our place in the new heavens and new earth. Now, friends, this is our hope that we have a son who has come for us. You know, Isaac can be sure of God's promises because Abraham obeyed God. You look at that in verse 5. You know, this is a key gospel truth, right? Isaac is blessed because someone else obeys. Same for us as well. We enjoy God's blessing not because of our works, finally, but because of the obedience of another. Abraham's son, Jesus, obeyed for us, even to the point of death on the cross. And because of his obedience, the promises have come to us. And we are assured that the promises will come to pass because of the obedience of this son. The faithful God calls us to have faith, faith in his son, to trust him, and to have Christ as our sure and steady anchor through the changes and challenges of our lives. Number three, the faithful God protects. Verses 6 to 11. So Isaac receives the promises because of God's grace, you know, not because of his own righteousness. You know, like Abraham, Isaac isn't always faithful or obedient. Right? We, we've read earlier how Abraham lied about Sarah twice, claiming that she was his sister and not his wife in order to protect himself. Isaac also stumbles, just as his father had. We read in these verses in chapter 26 how Isaac deceives the men of Gerah, telling them Rebekah is his sister. Isaac was motivated by fear, not faith. This is is surprising, right? Despite just being assured of God's promises, he gives in to unbelief and the fear of 
man. And Isaac's faithlessness endangers God's plan. But once again, we, we see God's faithfulness in intervening in this situation. You know, beloved, isn't this true for us as well? We often fail to trust and obey God, but God often protects us, us from ourselves. Right? He keeps us from making an even bigger mess of our lives. You know, God guards us from our own sin and folly. You know, and, and here we, we see how God intervenes in a remarkably quiet way, in a way that shows His sovereign providence over all of our lives, indeed over all lives. And although Isaac and Rebekah had been there for a long time, verse 8 tells us, you know, no one touched Rebekah, which, which is surprising, right? Even though they've lived, they've lived among these people for quite a while, but no one made any attempt to take Rebekah as his wife. And, and what's more, you know, we see how Abimelech happens to look out the window and happens to see Isaac and Rebekah being affectionate with each other. I think we're, not, we're meant to see that this is God's providence as well. Not coincidence, but His, His providential protection of Isaac and Rebekah. And realizing that Isaac had lied, Abimelech warns his people to leave Isaac and Rebekah alone. You know, all this is no coincidence. The faithful God protects His people and promises, even turning the hearts of kings to do His will, even a pagan king. You know, sometimes God works in obvious ways, but other times God works behind the scenes in ways that we may not even be aware. And God protects us through our falls and our failures. You know, this is wonderfully reassuring that our hope ultimately depends on Him and not on our own performance. You know, some of us have already been flying now that you know, a lot of the restrictions have been lifted. Some of us are planning to travel. You know, every time we fly, you know, maybe we notice many different experiences on a flight, maybe ourselves as well. You know, on some flights, we sleep well. On some flights, we don't sleep well. You know, on some flights, our children sleep well. On some flights, they don't. <laughs> right? There are many different experiences of flying. You know, imagine if the pilot were to announce that whether or not you get to your destination depends on the, the quality of your experience. So for those who sleep well, congratulations, you get there. Those who don't, too bad. Right? You know, that, that sounds a bit absurd because we know that that's not how flying works. Right? We get to our destination not because of how we experience the flight, but because of the reliability of the plane and, of course, also the reliability of the pilot. So it is with our faith. You know, many of us have many different experiences in our journey of faith. Some good, some ill, some seasons of joy, some seasons of sorrow, some seasons of rejoicing and you know, triumph, some seasons of affliction and deep distress. But beloved, we're not saved based on the quality of our experiences in this journey of faith. We're not even saved based on the quality of our faith. We're saved by the faithfulness of the one in whom we have faith. We're saved because of His reliability, because we can trust Him, regardless of how we may be experiencing our transitions or seasons of life. Our security doesn't ultimately depend on us, but on the God who holds us fast, and we can rest in His providential care for us. You know, in, in a while, we will sing this closing song, 
and these are two stanzas from that song. When, my, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's faith, fearful path, but my, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Beloved, what hope and confidence we have in the God who faithfully holds us fast. Number four, the, the faithful God provides. You know, God had promised to bless Isaac in verse 3, and, and here in verses 12 to 14, he carries through his word. God shows his faithfulness by keeping his promise. Right? Verse 12, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. You know, in Jesus' parable of the sower, a hundredfold harvest was the maximum produced by the seed on good soil. Right? So this shows God's faithfulness and his abundant generosity and grace to Isaac. Right? God blesses him in fulfillment of his promise. You know, but we need to be clear here that God doesn't promise us material blessings or worldly riches. You know, the, the material blessings that we read about in the Old Testament foreshadow the greater blessings that will come to us through God's Son. So we're not entitled to earthly success. But what God does promise us in the new covenant is that He promises us the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. If we trust Him to be our Lord and Savior. In Christ, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And through Christ who strengthens us, we can learn contentment in whatever earthly situation God puts us in, whether good or bad. As Paul says, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And Paul is speaking specifically about being content, whether things are going well or whether things are going really badly. So wherever our transitions or season of life takes us, we can trust Him. We can trust in our faithful God to provide. And He will supply every need of ours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I think for this reason, Jesus encourages His people to trust Him, to not be anxious, but to know that our Heavenly Father knows what we need. We can seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, trusting that all things that we need will be added to us. This is what God promises His people. You know, Isaac's prosperity here provokes envy. You know, the Philistines expel him from their land. You know, and further conflict forces Isaac to keep moving in search of a place to settle. I think Isaac's experience here in chapter 26 pictures our experience as God's people in a fallen world. You know, we live as sojourners. We will face hostility from others and we will be moving about. Maybe not physically moving about, but trusting God as we journey towards the promised land, our heavenly homeland. And we have no lasting city here, but we seek the city that is to come. And, and God leads us through our trials to teach us to trust Him. You know, as He moves Isaac from place to place, Isaac learns to wait and depend on God to provide. Right? I, you know, in this story, we see how he goes to one well, there's conflict and he moves off. He goes to another well, there's conflict again and he moves again. 
And finally, at the third well, there's no conflict and he is able to settle. And Isaac names the place Rehoboth, which means a broad place. And Isaac acknowledges how God is the one who provides through all these seasons of moving and change. He says in verse 22, the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. It's so encouraging, especially for those of us who've just moved to a new place. The Lord makes room for us and we shall be fruitful. We can trust Him to provide. You know, things come full circle when Isaac moves to Beersheba. Right? This is the place where Abraham, his father, had worshipped the Lord in chapter 21. And this is also the place where Abraham, his father, had made a peace treaty with Abimelech. You know, God is faithful across the generations. Isaac too enters a peace treaty with Abimelech in Beersheba. You know, Abimelech recognizes that Isaac is the blessed one of the Lord. You know, beloved, things are not going around in circles, but things are actually progressing towards God's intended end. Yes, things have come full circle, but God is working according to His plan. And He's showing His faithfulness across the generations. God again assures Isaac of His presence. Verse 24, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. He tells Isaac, I'm the God of your father and I am your God too. The same God. I do not change. Just as I was faithful to Abraham, I will be faithful to you. Therefore, fear not. That's what God is telling us as well, beloved, if we trust in Him. He's the same God of Abraham, the same God of Isaac, and He is our God too. So fear not. Fear not. And like his father, Isaac responds with worship. He builds an altar, calls upon the name of the Lord, Abraham's God is Isaac's God. He is the faithful Lord of the covenant, the everlasting God who does not change. And he shows steadfast love to a thousand generations. And I think he invites us to know him as our God as well, to have him as the one in whom we trust. Will he be our God? And finally, point five, the faithful God shows grace to the faithless. So we go back to chapter 25, the ending part of chapter 25. Circling back to these verses, we see how the faithful God shows grace to those who don't deserve it, right? to the faithless. When we look at the lives of men like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, uh, I think we find that these biblical characters are not impeccable men. They're not men who are perfect. They're not men who are always obedient. And Genesis is very honest about their shortcomings, about their flaws. Now, I think this helps us to see that the Bible is very honest about its characters. Why? Because the hero of the Bible is ultimately not these characters, but the hero of the Bible is God himself. And God graciously works through even flawed men to accomplish his purposes. You know, like, like them, I think we, we see ourselves in them, don't we? Like them, we also struggle to trust God and walk in His ways. You know, Isaac and Rebekah's sons grow up to be very different men. Esau is a wild man who loves to hunt, 
Right? I, th- I think he lives a bit for the thrill of the moment. He's impulsive. He's a man of action. Right? He enjoys just being in the thick of things, right? living for the moment. In contrast, uh, Jacob is a quiet man who prefers the settled life. He lives in tents. You know, we heard her earlier that God sovereignly chose Jacob over Esau. You know, remember, it's not because of anything good in them. This is God's sovereign choice of Jacob over Esau as the one who will inherit the promises. But despite knowing God's purpose, Isaac, the father, still favoured Esau to be the heir of the promises. And we'll see, this, we'll see more of this next week as we hear from Genesis 27, how, how Isaac still insists on favouring Esau. You know, it's, and chapter 25 tells us why. It's because Isaac enjoyed food. That's why he favoured Esau, right? For the reason of food. Maybe we can, some of us can resonate with that. Isaac enjoyed eating what Esau hunted for him. Rebecca, on the other hand, I think shows more spiritual discernment than her husband. She loved Jacob, perhaps because she understood God's purposes for him. You know, we see here Isaac's flaws. For the sake of satisfying his own appetite for good food, Isaac went against God's purpose for his sons. Now, beloved, how might our fleshly appetites and desires be hindering us from trusting and following God? Especially because we live in an affluent culture, in a consumeristic culture that puts personal pleasure above all else. For example, is our love of comfort and convenience getting getting in the way of us obeying God because it's too inconvenient, because it's too uncomfortable? Are we not obeying God's command to gather regularly with God's people because it's too inconvenient? Esau is even more a man of appetite. One day after an exhausting hunt, he returns to find Jacob cooking stew. And and, 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 and in the account, we hear that all Esau cared about was to satisfy his hunger. He literally says says to Jacob there, let me eat of... Let me eat some of the red stew, for I'm exhausted. Verse 30. You know, but our translation is, is somewhat colorless. Uh, the, the, the original language comes across as a lot more urgent. Right? Esau says, let me gulp down the red stuff, the red stuff. Right? You know, that, that's how urgent Esau is about, about food. So while Esau was thoughtless and impulsive, Jacob was cunning and calculative. You notice how Jacob doesn't really care for his brother. Jacob doesn't show love or hospitality to a hungry man. What does he do? He makes a deal. Jacob knows the art of the deal. Right? He is a grasping character, not a very nice man. Jacob takes advantage of Esau by offering him a deal. Right? I'll give you food in exchange for your birthright. Esau, the firstborn, stood to inherit the promises. That's his birthright. But scheming Jacob finds a way to usurp his brother's place. But Esau himself is responsible as well. Esau is too fixated on worldly things to bother about the promises of God. He says in verse 32, I'm about to die. Of what use? 
It's the birthright to me. You know, basically, he's saying, I want to live by sight, not by faith, because the, the promises seem too far away. I'm, I'm concerned about the here and now. So give me food now. For the sake of instant gratification, Esau gives up what has lasting spiritual value. And the New Testament letter to the Hebrews describes Esau as unholy, right? profane, unholy, because he sold his birthright for a single meal. Unholy because he gave up holy things, precious things, things that should be cherished and treasured. And for what? For immediate gain in this world. Esau is not the first person to do that and is certainly not the last. Esau is a warning to every one of us to not take God's promises for granted. You know, it's easy to live by sight because we, we see the world around us and we think this is, this is all that there is. I, I should live for this world. But Esau, you know, Esau warns us against doing that. Esau despised God's promises. He lived for the present, but he lost his eternity. Jacob, on his part, is not much better. Jacob is opportunistic and grasping, right? Jacob wants God's blessings, you know, he wants the promises, and he's willing to resort to any means, even underhanded ones, to get them. Jacob is the, the archetypal type A Singaporean. <laughs> he's self-sufficient and self-righteous. Jacob doesn't trust God. Right? Instead, he relies on his ways and means to get things done. He relies on plans and good planning to get what he wants. You know, beloved, how are we like Isaac, tempted to serve our appetites instead of serving God's purposes? How are we like Esau, tempted by the things of this world to abandon God's promises? For worldly gain. You know, how are we like Jacob, tempted to seek our own way, to get things done ourselves, to feather our own nest through the cleverness of our planning and through our own resources, whether it's money, talent, cleverness, whatever. How are we like Jacob, self-centeredly seeking our own benefit? One thing, even spiritual things, but in a very selfish way for our own benefit. You know, these patriarchs were clearly flawed men. They were sinners, just like us. And I think the encouraging thing from this passage is that God preserves His promises in spite of these men. Not because of them, but in spite of them. I think God preserves His promises to us in spite of us, not because of how upstanding we are. God saves us not because we are righteous, but because He is faithful. Because He is faithful to show grace to the faithless. Beloved, this is the good news of the gospel for us. What good news? We have all fallen short of God's glory, but God, who is rich in mercy, has sent a faithful son, an obedient son, to save weak and helpless sinners like us. Jesus died and resurrected so that we, flawed people as we are, can be forgiven and blessed by a faithful God. As Romans tells us, God shows His love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, beloved, our God is faithful. And this is our hope, this is our anchor. Amid life's changes and challenges, whether in season or out of season, whatever transition you may be going through or or are about to go through, in times of rest or in times of turmoil, beloved, we can trust in this faithful God. He will hold us fast. Amen. Let's pray together. Precious Father, we thank you and praise you indeed. You are faithful. And though we are often faithless and our lives are so marked by our own flaws and shortcomings, our failures and our sins, but Father, we praise you that you remain faithful. Father, in this moment, we pray that you would help us to trust in you afresh, help us to turn away from the false promises and hopes of this world, and help us to find in you our anchor, our confidence. Father, we thank you for your Son, whom you have sent for us and for our salvation. We pray that we would look to Him, to trust Him, to grow in Him and to walk with Him daily. Remind us afresh of your promises. Help us to glory in your name and in your name alone. We pray this through Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.